Acts chapter 19, says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Uh, Apollos, talking about Apollos, was a tremendous Bible teacher. He was a preacher. He was an apologist. He greatly impacted the church. It's just as if some dynamic person just dropped into town and blew the lid off the place. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, this guy knows how to talk, he knows how to communicate, my heart is stirred. I mean, Apollos was quite an amazing person. And in that culture that really valued people who were able to articulate well and to be a great orator and all these types of things, um, Apollos was really valued, and God used him mightily with his giftings. Um, In Acts 18, if you just flip back, it says uh, in 1824, it says, Meanwhile, and uh, a Jew named Apollos, so this is just speaking about Apollos, and Aquila and Priscilla, who started the work there in Ephesus. He was a native of Alexandria, Egypt. He came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue while And then when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And I love that. We all are not finished products, are we? No. Apollos needed to be discipled. And this this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, were from, I think, Corinth, basically. Paul dropped them off on his way to go after his haircut. Those of you who are reading know that. Uh, On his way to Jerusalem, but... uh, Anyways, this dear couple stays there and starts to lay the ground. A husband and wife in the city full of pagan idolatry. (laughs) Uh, The worship of Diana was going on. And Apollos drops in. And those two team up. Those that couple and Apollos team up. And and Apollos is preaching, but he's preaching the baptism of John. It's not the full uh, teaching, adequate teaching of of the Lord. And so a, a dear couple walks alongside him and shows him the way of the Lord more fully. They had been hanging out with Paul. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited their home and explained the way of the Lord more adequately to him. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's at Corinth, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. And so Apollos hopped over to Corinth, where we just read there was a bunch of problems, right? And they liked them too. And for he was vigorously refuting the Jewish opponents in public debate, <laughs> proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And so while Apollos is over there in Corinth, Paul had started his third missionary journey, which is, uh, probably go to the next slide, if there is one. Oh, that's fine. No, that's all right. So basically the third missionary journey is, see where it goes up in the middle, it says Antioch. Paul, want, Paul, this is a second missionary journey, and he wanted to go left to Ephesus, and the Lord didn't allow him. He wanted to go north to Bithynia, but God didn't allow him, so he kept straight. And then if you see, he just kind of goes down to where Corinth is on the left, and he goes across where the green line is, and he hops over to Ephesus. He only stayed there for a couple days. He wanted to stay there, and he took off. But the next journey, he goes straight through Iconium, which is on the bottom right, that's the region of Galatia, and he goes straight over to Ephesus. And so while he's in there in Galatia, uh, Apollos is in there in Ephesus, and he 
and he jumps over across the sea there to Corinth. And so Paul, Apollos moves out, and Paul moves in. And so this is Paul's third missionary journey. You can go ahead and get off the map there. And Paul had desired on a second missionary journey after coming through modern Turkey and Galatia and there to go there, but it didn't work out. Any of you feel like you want to go a direction and you really want to do something, the Lord has, has made it, you know, you feel like it's in your heart, you know, I want to do something, this is what I want to do, but the door's just shut. And you want to go somewhere, it's just not happening. And you have to, you can't go south, you can't don't go north, and so you go straight ahead. And some of us can be discouraged about those situations. Some of us can lose heart. God, where are you? What's going on? Well, what Paul did not know that while that was going on, Apollos was dropping was landed in Ephesus to break up the ground. And Aquila and Priscilla would eventually come over there and, and help disciple him. And what happened? Paul was not ready to minister in Ephesus. God had to use other people in the meantime to break up that ground, to get them ready for Paul to come in. And this is why Paul, I believe, is saying, Others, Apollos you know, scatters the seed and, and I come in and I, and I harvest, but it's God who gives the increase. And so be encouraged in your life, even though there might be uh, shut doors. God is at work, and it might not be through you. It might be through others, and it might be delayed in your life because the Lord has to do a work in you. In the meantime, you need to go get up, beat up in Philippi and Thessalonica and spend some time in Corinth to realize I'm ready to spend three years of tremendous opposition in Ephesus. And so Paul was being prepared for his time in Ephesus. I love that about Paul. And so Paul's third missionary journey started out the same when he went to Ephesus. And that's really what chapter 19 is about. Chapter 19 is about what his time in, in Ephesus. And so next week we're going to, this is the historical background to what's happening actually in Ephesus. But in the book of Ephesians, you're just reading a letter he's sending to them. So this is giving you the historical background, the cultural context of what's going on. Imagine if someone just lo- wrote a letter to the people of Walla Walla, the church in Walla Walla. They have no idea about the farming community. They have no idea about the things that you face, the seasons you face, with the, the hard times that are going on. None of that stuff. They're just reading, oh, just stay strong in the Lord, and we know you're having problems, and, you know, this gives a great background into what is going on in the lives of believers, and hopefully as we go through that book, you can relate, as we're reading here, in your own life about the pressures that are going on, and how to walk strong with the Lord, and how the Lord might reach to you and talk to you in the midst of a pagan society, amen? Or even a very religious society, like Ephesus. And so... Acts chapter 19 is Paul's times in Ephesus. The groundwork had been laid by Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. But the work of the Lord was not completed, just begun. Their understanding of God needed maturing, and Paul's gifts and, and calling was what, the, what they needed in that time. We see it in the very first few verses of, of Acts 19, so let's go there. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Very interesting. Paul found some disciples. This just means believers. People who follow Jesus, who love the Lord. Obviously, Paulo, Apollos had came through and preached, and they had received the Lord Jesus as Savior. They put faith in them. And as Paul is fellowshipping with them, he's hanging out with them, he's spending time with them, what happens? He's noticing something's missing. 
He's noticing there's a dynamic missing in their lives. He's, he's used to a quality of Christian brother and sister that had the dynamic of the Holy Spirit empowering and working through their lives. Now, you might go, Paul, don't judge me. No, but he's just sitting there asking. He's like, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There's something missing in the life of the believer. And this is Paul, through his time with him, is discerning there was something lacking in their walk with the Lord. It's evident that they're saved. It's evident that brothers and sisters, or their brothers in this case, 12 of them, but they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, it seems. They are lacking a dynamic in the overflow of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Perhaps the fruit of the Spirit was lacking. Perhaps the gifts of the Spirit were lacking. But the indicators were saying that they were missing something. And so Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so Paul's not addressing salvation. He's addressing the the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Whether or not they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that's the, the, the biblical term for it. And Paul was used to believers being filled with the Holy Spirit when they believed. Amen? But these guys were not. And this is one of those verses that tells me that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke of is something that can be experienced, um, can be experienced apart from salvation. And this is why I go back and forth. And and I've talked about this so often about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to get into incredibly deeply about uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those things that I have talked about agnosium before, but... These are one of those verses that make me say, listen, they're, they're believers, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit is not indwelling them? No, we know from Scripture what happens. That when we call upon the Lord, it's actually the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes us a new creation. So He's in us. And He was with us, convicting us of sin, walking alongside of us. But we're talking about a something different, a different dynamic. It seems Paul's line of questioning is that the norm that when a person believes the gospel that Jesus died and he rose again on the third day, the normal experience for a believer is that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? And what is their answer? They said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. Verse 5, and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, Jesus, right? And when Paul placed his hands on them, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. How many of you have a few theological questions right about now? (laughs) Me too. So we have a group of believers. Apollos is probably teaching. Remember he preached the baptism of John? What happened? Aquila and Priscilla had to come in and talk to him. What do you think they were talking to him about? Probably about the Holy Spirit. Probably about the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so what is John's baptism? Paul lays it out. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What were they missing in their life? These are the things that, were, that Paul was stirring up within them. 
These men, they believed, but they had not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but rather John's baptism, which is the baptism of repentance. And that's what baptism is. It's, it's a public sign to say that I no longer live this life, right? But now... I'm turning away from the deadness of the old into the new. So in, in, in one respect, yes, when we become baptized, it is a public declaration that we are going away from the old life, but we are accepting the new life. And so it is repenting, turning away from the old sin, moving towards uh, the new. But that baptism that John was having at that time with those people was a sign to the nation of Israel that the Messiah was coming for them to repent and prepare their hearts for the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus' baptism, let me explain this to you, was not a baptism of water, but of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an outward old covenant type of thing where you experienced something externally. It was something that would happen in a man's, in a woman's heart. It was an internal thing happening. It was not external. It was internal. It was symbolized by something external, but it happened inside. Jesus' baptism was not one of water, but of the Holy Spirit. Let's explain those two verses. John's baptism himself, uh, John the Baptist himself said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, what did he say? I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's going on there? John's baptism, repentance of water, but there's something different and more dynamic about the the baptism of the Holy Spirit here, the one that Jesus will bring. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In John chapter 7, 37 through 39, Jesus said, this is Jesus speaking about the baptism. He says, On the last day, in the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The power of the Holy Spirit is the how of the Christian life. If you lack joy, and you're defeated by sin and failure, and there is not a witness in your life, you lack love, Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is, is what we need in our lives. More of Him. And like Paul is saying, did you receive it when you believed? And Paul saw a dynamic power. The overflowing power of God was lacking in their lives in these 12 guys. They lacked the Holy Spirit. The, not the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the overflowing of the Holy Spirit is what I see. It was a brother in the Lord with discernment who came alongside them and pointed it out to them. Now to clarify, yes, each of us when we are born again we receive the Holy Spirit. Obviously we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, otherwise we would not be born again. We would not have eternal life. But is the Holy Spirit overflowing from our lives? Is there a dynamic of God happening in your life that makes you look like Jesus, that it's just evident. The love, the fruit and the gifts, that's kind of how we say it, the fruit and the gifts. And that's the picture of what water baptism conveys, so to speak. What happens when I'm in the tank and, I, and, and we're there and, and we baptize 
the Revelos and they pop up and I give them a hug. What happened to them when they got, went in the water and they came up? What, they got all wet. And then they come and they give me a hug and what happens? I get all wet. And then you guys go, oh, how awesome. We're so happy for you. And they come and, and you give them a hug and what happens to you? Why? And that's the picture of the Holy Spirit. When Paul was talking to these people, he wasn't getting wet. The people around them weren't getting wet, is my guess. It wasn't contagious. It wasn't overflowing. There was a lack of that spiritual torrent happening in their lives. Amen. Any of what you kind of question your head, do I have that? Good question. Me too. This is what Paul is, is speaking to. The power of the Holy Spirit is the how we live our Christian life. Is the Spirit overflowing you? Are, you? are you dripping wet? Are you overflowing onto others? That's the picture. A Christian has Christ overflowing from their lives. We rub off on everyone and everything we come in contact with. We reflect God, His character, His power, His love. That's the Holy Spirit. And Paul was looking at these believers and saying, yes, you've been redeemed, but there's something missing. There's something more that God has for you. Where's the overflow? Where's the outflow? Where's the Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is not an intellectual question. This is an experiential question. This is not a theological debate. Did I receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, I did receive the Holy Spirit. This is, he's talking about, they would have known it. They would have known it. There would have been a dynamic shift in their life. And I know I'm getting off track, and you know I'm a word guy. There's a change that happens. There's an overflowing. There's a joy. There's an outflowing. There's fruit. There's gifts. There's love. There's life. You have Jesus in you who's dying to get out. Amen? Paul's saying they would have known and it would have been evident to Paul and others could see it. They didn't have a clue what Paul meant. That tells me that we can be saved and be missing out on the things that the Lord has died to give us. Amen? See, Jesus didn't just die so that we could be saved. He died so that we would have life. And what did he say about life? Boring, mundane, struggling through day-to-day, horrible, despairing life. That's why I died for you. I died for you, that you would have abundant life. And we are not talking about health, wealth, prosperity, worldly, happy things. We're talking about Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering, overflowing, God-centered life, joy, that whole thing. Amen? That's what he wants each of us to experience and to have. So it tells me that we can be saved and missing out on things that the Lord had died to give us. It also tells me that there are those He has placed within the body and who God's, who are God's instruments of blessing to lead us of those who 
are, are in deficit in some way in the Lord, are not experiencing or have yet to learn that the Lord has placed people within the body to help lead us like the Pauls to spur us in one another, looking into each other's life and go, you know what, you're missing. You're missing the fruit and the, and the joy of the Lord. Let's, let's do that. You know what you're missing? And I know that's dangerous, right? We're called to be a little bit dangerous in the Lord, aren't we not? It's called love. When you see something missing in someone's life and you long for them to have it, you love. You reach out and you give it to them or you talk to them about it or you go meet that need. That's love, amen? God in heaven, he looked at us and he saw that we were all broken and sinful and says, he looks at us and goes, you know, I'm going to come down and die and not talk to you about your sin. Not talk to you about what's wrong. Just going to die. It's all worldly love. No. He came and said, repent. Why? Because that was our greatest need was to be emptied of that and to be filled with him. That's love. Praise the Lord. Paul was like that. He's hanging out on people and he saw a need and he goes, you know what? There's a spiritual need. Are you in contact with people within the body? Do you see spiritual needs around you? Do you see deficits in character and the way people are acting or whatever it might be? I do. It starts with me. All right? But how do you prayerfully engage in that other person's life and say, you know what? The Lord put me here to walk you through this. Or the Lord put me here to engage with you. Or I need from you. I have this deficit. Will you help me? There's, there's something going on in my heart, in my life that lack. What, why, why don't I have joy? Amen? So, There are those that God's placed in the body as instruments of blessing to lead others into deeper uh, relationship, more profound blessings uh, from the Lord to experience all that God has actually laid at their feet that is theirs. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Boy, were they in for a treat. So how did Paul rectify the situation? How did he do it? He taught them that the experience they had with John's baptism was only to point them to the fullness of Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he actually baptized them with the right understanding of baptism. They got baptized twice. How many of you were baptized as a child in, in the Catholic church or in whatever? Did you have any understanding of what you were doing? Did you maybe have a John's baptism scenario going on? It's biblical to get rebaptized with the right understanding of what's going on. Amen? Amen. So for those of you who are baptized like that, yes, you should be baptized again with, when you truly understand what's going on in your heart. doesn't mean you need to have a rocket scientist understanding, but you have a true heartfelt understanding of it. That's why when we baptize younger kids, we talk to them about the basics. Do you understand what this means? If they don't, we don't. If we do, we do. Amen? I was baptized when I was seven. And I didn't understand all the theology, but I knew I was being faithful to the Lord. I knew, what, I knew what it meant in general. And let me tell you, when I was baptized as a kid, I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's my experience. I was a different person when that happened, seven years old. I didn't have all the theology, but I came out of that water, and man, what in the world happened to me? And you, you know, blame it on an emotional experience in front of a church, blah, blah, blah. No, that was God. I know his voice. That was him. And he never left me. And he hasn't still never, you know, left me. It's just amazing. 
But then he, Paul laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, the overflowing of the Spirit, that is. And so either this is the apostolic ministry or as you look in Hebrews, Paul is saying, hey, let us move on from the elementary teachings of repentance from dead works, the laying on of hands. You're going, elementary teaching of laying on hands, you want to explain that somewhere, Paul? I think this is what he's talking about, perhaps. So he laid hands on them, and as a result, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And, the act, and, and notice, the activation of the gifts of the Spirit seemed to be li- linked with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so don't, don't be dis- surprised that the Holy Spirit manifests himself through gifts and fruit. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, when they have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, when, it's, when Jesus is overflowing from your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have the gifts of the Spirit going on. You're going to have love. I'm sorry, you're going to have all those things we just talked about in Corinthians, right? Manifestations, whatever they look like. In this case, there was tongues and prophecy going on. And you're also going to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy. So you can have like a fruit basket. You know, it's like a spiritual fruit basket. That's what we got. Gifts full of fruit, right? That's what's going on in your life. So if you're one of these dear brothers and sisters who lacks the power, you lack the love, I, I just... There's a lack of fruit, perhaps, in your life, a lack of gifts. Not comparing it to someone else, but you just know. Not, I'm not used like that person. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, man, there's just, this is a miserable Christianity. Anybody experience that? Man, it's just, this is Religion. you got a, something going on. And God has the remedy. And the remedy is himself. The remedy is more of him in your life. And I would say like these people, perhaps you need to be prayed over to receive the fullness of the Spirit in your life. I don't even know what that looks like. I just see God doing it over and over in Scripture. And that's not to say that doesn't happen when you're saved. I'm just saying I think it's a both and. And by the way, he teaches, hey, continually be filled. So that tells me we're leaky. Right? And so I don't have all the theology worked out, but Paul saw this thing going on in their lives, which I see in my life, which I see in many of your lives. And the answer isn't just go to more Bible study, just go to fellowship, just... It's be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, you hunger and thirst. They were pouring out tons of water upon the altar steps, and it was pouring down. And Jesus, they're watching this happen. Jesus says, anybody thirsty? Any of you thirsty? He says, come to me, and I will make it so in your heart and in your life you have torrents of living water flowing out of you, just like this thing is running in a never-ending stream as the final deal of that festival It's going to happen in your heart and out of your life. Jesus at the woman of the well, she tried to fill her life with what? A bunch of relationships and who knows what. What did he speak to her about? Here's what you need to do. You need to stop living with this person. You need to start doing this. You need to do these five things. Make sure you go to church every week. Make sure you're getting yourself in a Bible study and all those things. And those things are great, but that doesn't take care of the problem 
The problem is a heart that is bent against the Lord, right? And he spoke to that woman and said, you are coming here to have water, physical water, but the water I give you, it'll never go out. She was spiritually thirsty, trying to meet her life in everything but the Lord. And the Lord is speaking to our church and saying, you are spiritually thirsty. And the reason why the church is dwindling, the reason why the, the Bible studies are not filled, the reason why prayers are chores, the reason why people are not being reached for Jesus Christ, not judging, looking at fruit, because what water are we drinking? Is he our delight? Is he our joy? Is he everything to us? Is he Lord of all? Is he the water we pant for in the morning? Thirsty, church. You're thirsty. Do you hear it? Do you see it in your lives? And so quickly what happens is we replace that with something else. And the enemy's so good at it. I'm thirsty, church. I am thirsty. Are you thirsty? Are you longing for something more than what we're doing, what we're having? And it comes as we go to him and desire him above all. And well, how's that happen? You just start walking towards him. You start saying, here I am, Lord, in the morning. Have me. And he'll start speaking to you and saying whatever he says. And you obey. And life starts flowing again. And the water starts trickling. And then power happens. Christianity is no longer a chore. It is your life because life is in you. He is in you, living out of you. And the reason why you go to church is not to check off a box and so at the end of your life say, God, I did the church thing. It's because you long to hear the word of God by some fool, fool up there. You long to be around the people of God and you are looking at people in this thing and saying, who can I give to? Why? Because you've been in his presence. You've been filled with him and how can you not look at other people? How can you not look at needs? Because the love of God is happening in your life. The spirit is, being, is filling you and you're looking out and you're going, I have the ability to meet that need in Jesus and I'm gonna go do it. We experienced it today. Melanie at the retreat put a video up. She saw something that ministered to her heart and said, I've got to give this to the ladies. She gave it to the ladies. Ramey saw it, was affected this morning. She goes, you know what? I've got to give this to the church. The church needs to see this. They need to know how powerful and amazing the Lord Jesus Christ is. Look at all these names of who he is. And by the way, he's not mentioning me in any of it. Look at him. Look how glorious he is and how big and mighty is and all these things and, and how he uses a thousand different ways to try to relate to us, to show us who he is. Put your eyes upon Jesus, church, and be filled with the Spirit. Amen? And Paul is looking at believers and going, you've got the doctrine down, you've got all this stuff down, you're doing all the right things, you're meeting together, great. There's a lack of power. What would he write to this church? What would Jesus write to this church in the book of Revelation 70 years later, whatever time it was when, when John was, was writing, he would write to this beautiful church in Ephesus. And he would say, 
you've done all these great things. You've got all these wonderful things going on. You're doing all these things for charity, and you've got the doctrine down, and you've got the Bible states, but you've left your first love. Preach it. That's right. Totally. What else we got to live for? Yeah. What does that look like? <laughs> so this is not, uh, you know, this is us drinking from strange streams, bitter waters, and saying, we as a church, we've been called as the sheep of God to graze in his pasture and to let him restore your soul, let him restore my soul, to let him lead you beside the still waters. Let him take you in those green pastures and feed on his goodness. And just experience his table in the midst of your enemies. We need the Lord more than we've ever needed him before, so to speak, in this fellowship. Amen? In our lives. And this is with the elders, and you know, we've been talking about this. We exist to glorify God. That is the vision for the church. What does that mean? We reflect Jesus Christ. If we're looking at ourselves, or we're enamored with our own world, and we're looking at our shadow on the ground going, man, look how glorious that is, and I'm going to live for that kingdom. It's beautiful, isn't it? I like the things that I like. But that's not why I was created. That's not why I'm here. I was created to reflect His will, His kingdom, the things He likes, the things that make His heart happy. And as I am looking at Him, and as I am experiencing Him, as I am being filled with Him, my life has meaning. My life has purpose. I'm filled with Him, and it shines off of me as my face looks into the light of the Lord and it shines onto you. And it can't help but do that because that's what I was designed to do. And by the way, that's going to look differently for each one of us. But it's all going to be under the banner of glorifying God. Amen? So my motive for fellowship is not to do the right thing. It is love. Love for God, love for one another. My motive for being in the Word is how do I love one another? How do I glorify God? He laid it out. My motive for prayer, no longer about God, make my kingdom work. My kingdom's not working right now. I want my kingdom. It's what is your kingdom? What is your will? Show me. Help this person. Listen to how Paul prays. Anyways. So, Paul's work in Ephesus began by edifying the brothers and sisters, by teaching them about and leading them to a dynamic relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. If you are thirsty this morning, I want to invite you to pray and to just ask God 
with me after the service. Come up with me and I will pray with you. Some of the other people can pray with you too. And just say, I'm thirsty. I need whatever this is. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. If that's you, don't let the war go on anymore. Just come up. We'll pray for you. We'll lay hands on you and see what God does. What did it say? What did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit there in Luke and in Matthew? He says, you know, you got a neighbor who's knocking on your door at night and he doesn't get up and do anything and he just goes through the whole thing, but he's persistent. He says, come on, I need something. Someone came and visited and he takes that analogy and he says, you know, how much more is God going to give you good things to those who ask? He says, you know, you being evil, in other words, we're all sinful. He says, you, you good fathers, you know how to give your parents good gifts. If they ask for bread, you're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion. You're going to give them, God's going to give you what he asks. He says, how much more for those who ask for the Holy Spirit? Ask for the Holy Spirit. Why would he tell us to ask for the Holy Spirit? Why would Paul say, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we need the Holy Spirit. It's ours. It's like food. It's like water. Fill us, Lord. Need you. Don't want to be Sunday Christian anymore. No more Sunday Christian. Yes, we need Sunday Christians, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Fire. Fire. Fire is what? Contagious. You know how hard it is to put out fires that get going? John Davin. God wants to baptize you with fire and with water. Gets everywhere. Fire spreads. That's the kind of Christian life that he has for us. With persecution. Underline that promise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, we are few, but we are strong when you surround us. And your word to the church this morning is is clear. Where are we drinking? What are we nourishing our hearts? Lord, will you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit? Lord, your deepest blessings upon my dear brothers and sisters, my family. Lift them up. Break away anything that would keep us from seeing your glory, from experiencing your joy. And Lord, that is the testimony to the world when we are looking fully in your face and reflecting you around. So let us be that light, that city upon the hill. Do that work in our fellowship starting this morning, Lord. You've already been doing it, but just we're just saying today we need you. Amen.